Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Plundergrounds. I'm your host, Ray Otis. Today, we are going to talk about the letter C, and we are going to spend some time thinking about personal dungeons. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Before I get started today, I wanted to thank whoever it was who recommended my show as a best podcast for the in-world um, awards, I guess. I don't know if they're awards or what. I haven't looked into it too closely. This happened over Christmas when uh, things were fairly chaotic for me, and uh, it was a real boost, also kind of a surprise, also a little bit of a, it caused me instant fear. Like, <laughs> I don't like the idea of being a little, being like watched by too many people or whatever, or judged. I try not to think about it too much when I turn on the mic and just get on and talk to everybody. Uh, but uh, it's really flattering, and I wanted to thank you a lot. And it was funny because, like, the first episode I did after that, I made a mistake and somehow published, like, the introduction twice. So some of you may have uh, listened to the last episode and thought, why is this only two minutes long or something? Um, if you haven't uh, um, been able to re-download it, please re-download it. I republished it, so I think everybody should have gotten the full episode. But it wasn't my best episode Um uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I try not, I'm, a, I'm my own worst critic as many people are, and I try not to overthink it too much, but, um, I always laugh when somebody sends me a, a, a little encouraging note and says like great episode, like my, one of my friends JJ did this time. And I, and I thought, really, I thought it was terrible, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but that's me. Um, yeah, but thank you so much, whoever you were that, that made that, uh, made that suggestion. And it's really humbling to think that I would be somebody's favorite podcast. Let me also say that I have a new favorite podcast of my own. I've been listening to it for a while, but it just has been really hitting lately, I think. Um, and I've been enjoying it and, and literally laughing um, along with it out loud in the car. And that is Between Two Cairns. And uh, it's um, done by Yochai and Brad. And Yochai is the, the creator of the game Cairn, C-A-I-R-N. Uh, which is a, I believe, a free rule set. You can you, you can buy the print version, but I think the actual rule set is free in PDF form. And uh, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. But it's a really good, really good, simplistic. Uh, simplistic isn't the right word. Minimalistic is a better word. Um, take on on a, a, a quick to play, quick to teach fantasy rule set with some very clear upfront agenda items in terms of um, you know what it's trying to accomplish. And so it's it's a really cool thing to look at. And it's it's spawned a lot of um, uh, what um, supplements and and like rehashes. I just bought one called Rune Cairn, which I haven't read yet, but it, it looks really nice. Um, just came in the mail. So. Yeah, have a look at that, and uh, let's give a listen to Between Two Cairns, and uh, enjoy the um, uh, funny uh, back and forth between Yochai and Brad, as uh, as Brad makes um, horrible mouth noises and inappropriate comments, and and uh, Yochai tries to keep things on track. <laughs> right. Well, the letter C. We are going to go with C is for column. Column is um, a relatively boring concept at first blush, right? Columns are everywhere um, and they're classic, right? We tend to think of the white ribbed Roman or Greek column uh, when we think about columns, but I think they're underutilized in gaming. Um, and while you see them on a lot of maps, I don't feel like people 
use them in play or use them to create inventive things in the in a way that they could. And so I'm going to go with column. Uh, the first thing I think about is a colonnade, which is uh, an architectural term for um, a, basically a long sequence or series of paired columns with an entablature or a, you know or closed at the top, right? So it could be um, out in the open. It could be like a colonnade that leads into a temple. It can be inside a building. Um, there's a famous one uh, in an Egyptian temple that uh, I learned about in art history. It's just called the Hypostyle Hall, which is, it's not a, it's not the Hypostyle Hall. They are, there are many, I think, Hypostyle Halls, but it's just an, a room that's basically full of columns, right? Um, so imagine sort of at the intersection, if you got a map and, and the grid is 10 feet per, per square, like at the, every intersection, there's a column, you know, so you might have a room of, of 20 by, um, 30 columns or something crazy and it's a forest of columns and I always think like how crazy would a combat or like a you know a hide and seek game or any a, a chase or anything be in a in a room like that it could be really cool right you don't know you can walk into a room you're inside the room and you'd have no idea what was in there because you're in a forest of columns and the sight lines are screwed up um, a thing came up in our Agarta game which is kind of my home campaign, if you will, that's a shared world, shared GM duties, and uh, we, uh, JJ plays a dwarf in there called Gaj, and we were uh, developing the under, the the city of Agartha is built on top of what used to be a dwarven um, citadel, and that was mostly underground, and, and they repurposed all the stone, and there's like faults and all kinds of things, so the, the city underneath is abandoned, but um, we were talking about dwarven history and how it might, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but how it might manifest itself in that world. And we figure way down deep somewhere in the citadel is this hall of columns and each column is hexagonal on, and on each side of the, uh, each facing of this column is written uh, some portion of dwarven history, like carved in stone. And so this, um, and that scholars would wander around these columns and kind of, there's something um, interesting about the idea of like jumping from the north face of one column to the north face of another column, right? And making these sort of connections between stories and things that um, is somewhat random, but, um, but you know, emergent, if you will. And uh, guys who, like historians, would kind of make notes and they reference uh, columns, you know, based on where they are in the room and number them or, or give you like a map to how to get to a certain column uh, based on text and like uh, direction, you know, that there's all kinds of neat things that could come in there. So that was fun. Um, I think of types of columns, like there's a, a karyatid column. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but... Um, a karyatid is a uh, um, it's a column that is carved in the shape of a figure, and so there's a I think it's the Temple of Athena on the Acropolis um, in Greece, which is the the first karyatid column that I saw in a book, and uh, you know it's it looks like women. Uh, with uh, standing on the ground with a, a roof uh, held up by their heads, right? And uh, the, the most obvious thing about a karyatid column is um, that it could come to life. And so that, that's obviously a possibility. But it's also a way to show like what race lived there, what species of creature lived there. And so you, whatever humanoid is carved into, you could assume that it's, uh, 
you know, that that is the makers, right? It's this image of themselves um, or maybe of their gods or something like that. So it's a way of communicating information and it's just an interesting look as opposed to just having a basic column, you know, having columns carved in the shapes of, of uh, you know, stately figures is cool. And even if they don't come to life, maybe especially if they don't come to life, players will be constantly wondering if they're going to come to life. <laughs> um, a column can uh, be hollow. It can hide a hidden staircase or a secret door, you know, hiding spot for an assassin or um, a shaft that just leads down to another level. Uh, it could be filled with liquid so that it's a trap and, and uh, something opens up in the column and spills liquid out onto the floor. Uh, that would be cool. Um, it could be trapped in such a way that uh, there's a, a, a flagstone or a tripwire or something that will cause a column to fall, which brings the roof down. Um, there's lots of things you could do with columns in that regard. Columns can be living in and of themselves, so um, not a carried column per se, but just like a, a normal column um, would make a very scary attacker, right? It could just be this like tubular, heavy, uh, animated object that like bends awkwardly at the middle and just tries to slam you into the floor and, and make jelly out of you. Uh, that would be cool. So you'd have to run like a gauntlet of living columns, and. Um, yeah, that's, that's just some different things I was thinking about in terms of columns. There were lots of C words I could have chosen. Uh, chalice, carcass, uh, chalcedony, um, calciferous. <laughs> like there were all these words that were coming to me this morning. And I thought, you know, I'm, columns, they're really interesting. Um, architecturally, columns are super interesting because, uh, one, they're functional. But, uh, two, they're also decorative. And um, like in uh, one thing you learn in, in art history is about the orders of columns and how you can almost date a building by the the type of column cap um, and so uh, the and it's also interesting to know that they're kind of constructed they look like they're sculpted out of one long piece of marble or something right but they're uh, sculpted usually out of like drums so you can imagine like thick coins or discs of, of marble and then with a maybe a, a square hole in the center where you line it up and put like a timber down the middle or something to keep it uh, lined up but yeah so they're made like that and then the capstone or the top of the column, I forget what they call that. Um, it has a name. Uh, shoot, I can't. Uh, shoot, I can't think of the name. But anyway, those, uh, those, those, and the base of the column both um, can indicate a style, a, a period, a historical period, right? And and uh, both could be either. Um, in Greek and Roman times, you've got the the Doric style, which is the kind of the oldest style, which are are just very basic looking. You know, not a lot of decoration, just kind of like bulbous or or uh, just meaty looking tops and bottoms. And then you've got uh, what comes next, uh, Ionic, right? And Ionic looks like a scroll, and it um, it looks like a, it sort of like communicates that you're coming from a culture that values knowledge, that values the written word. Right, and so they have the kind of classic scrolls on either side, and usually, if you see these little spirals on either side of the top of a column, that's Ionic, and um, that's what you probably think of when you think of a column. And the next order up is uh, Corinthian, which has kind of almost looks like upward facing leaves that are kind of curled down at the ends, right? Um, and so it's, it's much more ornate, uh, it's much more delicate looking, and uh, that's the the kind of progression of columns were uh, in, in that culture, in Western culture, in classical Western culture, were um, from squat 
heavy things to kind of like tall, thin, more elegant things. And so they went from being um, functional to more decorative as much as possible. Um, but even, you know, even when they're still functional, they're trying to make them the more uh, graceful, if you will. And that's interesting. And so you can communicate something about like the culture that built it and their level of what they're interested in and their level of skill and everything with the with columns, right? And so that's a that's a cool that's a cool little tidbit. Um, I don't know how useful that is. Maybe I'll have to work that into my dungeon exercise, my dungeon 23 exercise. And I want to talk about that next under the guise of, of talking about um, what I'm going to call personal dungeons. So as many people are doing, I am participating in Dungeon 23. It's an exercise, a creative challenge, if you will, put out there by Sean McCoy, who wrote the uh, science fiction role-playing game Mo uh, Mothership? Mothership, right? That sounds wrong to me that I'm saying that out loud, but I think it's Mothership. <laughs> um, sometimes words just don't come when you expect them to. Uh, and the idea is to take a daily planner and to make a multi-level, a 12-level dungeon, one level each month, um, with one room or hallway or feature or whatever per day. And so you can use that planner to kind of structure your ideas. Now, a lot of people have taken this and uh, embraced it and done some fairly um, elegant or structured challenges, if you will. Um, some people are doing like a hex a day. Some people are doing uh, very themed um, places like my friends JJ and Bill are both doing it. And uh, one of them is doing a cityscape from our um, from our campaign. And the other one is doing some stuff about the Dwarven Ruins underneath. And so they, they both have themes. Um, I decided not to tie it into our shared world and um, decided because of the chaos of the holidays um, to not plan. I kept thinking about, oh, I should plan what I'm going to do, you know, plan for success, have a plan, right? And um, decided that uh, that's not me anyway. I, I'm, it's hard for me to be consistent and follow through on something long term. And so I decided just to enjoy it, right? And just to make interesting rooms. My idea is just to be creative and just to um, do what I can to make a room interesting for one reason or another. An interesting space to, uh, to explore or fight in or um, interesting NPCs or interesting objects in those spaces or, you know, and not worry about any kind of, I want to go with the mythic underworld idea. I don't want to worry about any kind of connectivity um, or continuity in the dungeon. I just want to kind of work ahead and, and go day by day. Now, the funny thing is, is as I've worked over it, the the rooms kind of start interlinking in ways that um, is emergent, right? Like I didn't plan any of this, but now it's starting to make, like it kind of makes sense because one idea leads to another. Um, I am in a space right now where things are getting a little bit too logical for me. And so I'm probably, I'm planning very soon to have an abrupt transition of some kind, like a a collapse or a or a, a rift or a teleporter or something that <laughs> that dramatically shifts the the style and theme and everything um, so that I can so that I can explore some new territories without feeling like I've put guardrails on myself. Um, but the, one of the cool things about this has been, and I've been pushing pushing this out. I'm uh, put it up on my Viridian Scroll is probably the best way place for you to look at it. I show my work and have typed it up as I go because sometimes you just want to. I want to like get my idea down more fully than I can get in the tiny space in the notebook that I'm using. But I like the tiny notebook because it enforce it forces me to be concise um, initially, and uh, because I'm typing it up. 
um, I just typed it up in a format already and then just cut and pasted it over to um, my blog. I, I'm, my plan right now, what I'm thinking about, is uh, at the end of the month, I just got through finally getting all the zines out the door, all but like three. I have some issues. I, I need a couple larger envelopes, and I still got a couple overseas things to deal with, which is a little t- tough. But um, all the rest of them are going to s- have been sent. Whew, finally. And um, I realized that I don't like doing the media mail sending. It's just, it's really not that bad, honestly. I found my I found my account, but it's still like 350 an envelope to send it that way. But what I do have a bunch of already is I have some forever stamps and I have some typical mailing envelopes. And they can hold up to like, I think, three ounces. Um, like it's like birthday card weight, essentially, uh, before you have to move off of a stamp or, or a second stamp or what. Anyway, I've got, um, and I'm thinking what I'm going to do is number one, each month, I'm just going to, a month at a time, release these on itch.io as a download. So if you want to download the month, you can. Um, or not, I don't care. This isn't, I'm not going for some kind of like coherent big time publication here. I'm just sharing what I'm doing uh, and putting it out in a coherent way. Um, and I'm thinking about printing uh, for anybody that I'll put a dollar amount on it, like maybe $3 or something. And for anybody that does that, I'll print a copy, put it in one of these mailing envelopes as long as I can keep it under a couple, you know, like four or five pages and uh, throw it in the mail. Just throw it in the regular old mail. Uh, so that'll only be continental US, unfortunately. Um, but I don't think, I don't know if a stamp goes, I assume it goes to Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico and places like that. I'd have to double check. But, I, you know, basically in the U.S., um, it's just too complicated, sadly, to send mail overseas uh, easily. And uh, which I've, I've come to find out just how difficult that was. Um, <laughs> custom forms and all kinds of junk just to send a letter, right? Uh, send, a, send a little zine. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking about doing sending those out as print things, and I think I know I would like to get that in the mail. So um, you know, as a little uh, book that you can read over coffee and enjoy some of the pictures and things like that, uh, little scribbly drawings and whatnot that I do, um, and uh, I think other people would enjoy it as well. And but I just and also just because I'm having a lot of fun with it, maybe it communicates the fun to others too. Maybe it's fun to read. Um, I know uh, recently in just uh, man, the last couple of rooms I did, I made up some mummy cats that act very cat-like, which is really funny. Um, they're two-tailed mummy cats that um, uh, follow you around meowing, which draws other monsters to, you know, and if you pick it up to stop it from meowing and pet it, it's happy for a while, but then it gets tired of being petted and scratches you and may cause some like, you know, rot and things like that. <laughs> and then I did another room where I had um, had the library and I wanted to like, uh, invent some tomes for the library. So I made up some volumes written by former characters of mine or former NPCs. Like I had this NPC that was a uh, cleric that was very physical. He, he would meditate naked in like a, you know, a hot sauna or something like that. And, um, they were always running into him like in awkward (laughs) meditations. And, uh, so I made a a book called like, uh, his name was crumb and I made uh, crumbs, excellent exercises. And you get an extra, if you follow his exercises in your daily meditations, you get an extra first level spell per day but it costs you d3 hit points because you uh you know it's physically demanding right it takes something out of you and things like that right so i just i um uh, have another couple gnome characters that i really like playing one of them was sminky sminky cobblob and uh, another one was Rituga Twiskin, and I made uh, a book called Rituga's Guide to Flim Flammery, which is a, kind of a charisma guide. And so, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, it's it's fun for me to kind of embed little ideas that I've had in the, in the in this, but also not to worry about how they whether they make sense or how they connect or whatever. And uh, 
I may still be overkilling it a little bit. Like I may need to ratchet it back a little bit for now. I'm just, it's really fun. I don't mind spending a half hour, hour a day, you know, um, tootling around with this, especially on a day when I've got, um, you know, I've got time and I'm feeling creative. I, I often will at the, so far I'm, I've a couple times now I've worked ahead like two or three days and it's nice to have that bit, bit of buffer. But what I try to do is then use it pretty much uh, right away uh, because I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, right? I don't want to know too much what's what's coming. So if I'm two or three days ahead, which I am now, I'm good through Monday. I'm probably not going to visit again until Monday um, and because and, I like just being under the gun, being under the pressure of like having to develop a, you know, a room that day. And, and if I then come up with three rooms, okay, that's what happens. I do three rooms and then I set for two days. Yeah. So that's just, that actually is more my work style anyway. I like to work intensely and then followed by periods of loafing. Um, <laughs> that's, that's me in a nutshell. And so that's, uh, that's why my podca- podcast is not always consistent, but that's what I'm doing right now. And it's really fun. And, um, the thing that made me, well, the reason I talked about personal dungeons is this idea that, um, there was a time in the hobby when, uh, sharing meant, uh, sharing a game meant, uh, playing somebody else's dungeon, right? Like, so everybody, uh, everybody who, played the game, everybody played D&D, we're talking about the 70s here, let's just be honest, uh, you know, mid to late 70s, everybody played the game, had a character, right? Um, some people were only GMs, but let's just, let's start with, like, most, I would say there's, like, more players who were, had characters than there were GMs, right? Um, and uh, some of those people also were GMs, but every GM had a dungeon, uh, is the kind of the theory, I mean, that's kind of the conceit of the game. And uh, to play with a certain person meant playing in their dungeon, and their dungeon was a personal expression. And that's what I like about this exercise for me is that um, it's an expression of things that inspire me. So uh, in the first week I mentioned the video game Joust and how I use that for a room. I also had was reading a book, uh, that Wolfbane book, which turned out to be just amazing. That book blew my mind. I loved it so much. Um, there's an earlier version of it that would appear in a magazine, and then there's the published version from 1959. So make sure you get the, the 1959 version, not the cut-down earlier version, which wasn't quite as good as I understand it. But it's just mind-blowingly good. It had so many interesting things in it. But one of the things in it was that there was a guy who was going to get executed, and he was very fatalistic about it. And uh, he, instead of like railing against the, the system or, or how he was unfairly, you know, sentenced to execution um he's sitting in his jail cell composing his death poem because he wants to go to his death artistically and uh that kind of filtered across i have this wandering minotaur in week one um who is literally um she's a female minotaur she's dressed in her finest jewelry and um and her best like you know armor and weapons and she's going out to find a place she's old and weary and she's going out to find a place to die she wants to die someplace you know, where she wants to spend her rest, like a pasture essentially is what she's looking for when you think about it. And so she's working her way. I imagine she's working her way back to the surface to adventure. And so when, when the characters run into her, she doesn't necessarily want to fight and die in that room, but if that's what it is, so be it. Right. Um, what is it in Dune? They say, um, when it's time, when, a, uh, it's time for a creature to die, you know, God, uh, giveth that creature wants and desires to take them to the place of their death. There's, it's, there's something like that in there. And uh, so she's wandering around um, 
uh, finding her place to die. But the characters will find will know she's there long before they run into her because she's loudly in Minotaur, which I imagine is a lot of bellowing and grunting and stuff, composing her death poem. And so I just like right like that just that little idea came across from a book. It's not my idea, but I've made it my idea, if that makes sense. It's become personal for me. So it's just been great. Um, who knows what I'll run into? You know, maybe way down deep, I'll have a lost world filled with dinosaurs, because I like that. Uh, maybe um, I'll have an underground sea, um, you know, that uh, that players that have islands that are whole worlds, right? Like that's a whole setting, maybe uh, an underground sea where you sail from island to island and uh, deal with competing tribes or something. who knows what I'll have down there right but anything that I'm watching or reading or um, just thinking about reminiscing about could come into play and it all becomes um, not only a personal expression but something that is easy for me to run because I've got like an emotional investment and um, I've got visuals and, and sounds and smells and everything that come to me when because they're coming out of memories and experiences and um yeah, maybe we don't have enough of that, right? I mean, that's the argument for making your own stuff versus using. A lot. Of, I hear a lot of times people say they make their own stuff because the stuff out there, the pre-done adventures, aren't to their liking. Um, uh, and maybe that's them trying to say, I want to personalize it, right? I want it to be more expressive of my personality. I also think that like by making it yourself and writing it down physically, you know, you you embed it forever in your memory and your and your um you're, you're constructing a memory literally constructing a memory that phrase is kind of like i don't think it gets enough weight right when you think about that because i i believe and i think this is um backed up by science and, and rhetoric and different things but you know the reason that your earliest memories are when they are is because they're tied to when you were learning language and it's something about our brains that it needs uh Memories can't exist unstructured. They can't exist in just, um, they have to have relationships and, and language and different things to, to embed them in there. And uh, as, so as you give something structure, you give it permanence. You give it, uh, a thing has life on its own, but it doesn't have permanence and it doesn't stay in your memory until you structure it somehow. And uh, for me, these like impressions that I have, uh, by structuring them into like a dungeon room right they become a living thing and i don't feel the need to repeat them either which is kind of funny um like once i've expressed a a, a thing i don't necessarily need to come back and re-express that thing although i may find myself doing that by accident more than purpose but uh yeah it's, it scratches an itch it um, gives me something that i can run for people on the fly like i don't think this is a thing that i'll I mean, I suppose I'll forget as much as you always rediscover things for yourself. You know, like if you look back 10 years and go, oh, man, I did write that. that was, that's kind of interesting. Or, wow, I was a different person then. Um, I'm sure that'll be true to some extent. But it's also something that I'm intimately familiar with. And one reading, you know, one glance at a room would tell me like, oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, and I can go back to that really quickly. And I could probably run it for anybody, anywhere, anytime. And looking forward to having that, um, having that artifact with me, right? That's just really cool. So, um, you know, think about that. Do you have a personal dungeon? Do you have a personal setting? Do you have a personal thing that is an expression of not just yours, not just because you want to own it, um, not just because you want control over it, but why do you want control of it? Isn't it, isn't it an expression of your personality? Does it reflect the things that you think are fun and interesting? Um, is it bringing out um, potent memories for you uh, and concepts and, and ideas and, and um, 
you know, structures that you think are interesting. And if it's not doing that, then why are you doing it? <laughs> uh, and if you have another why, call in and tell me about it because I'm curious. Like, why why write your own stuff um, if it's a pain, right? What's fun about writing your own stuff? What is it that you what is it you want to do? What is it that makes you what gives you the buzz? You know, when you're writing something that puts you in the zone um, that that gives you the warm fuzzies, whatever it is. So yeah, that's uh, probably enough for talk for today. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you all. Um, had some great interactions with listeners recently. Um, I, uh, oh man, who did the, somebody, I think I mentioned it before, but when I was doing the zine giveaway, somebody sent me a graphic of Rufus the Rust Monster and like, it looks like a pixel graphic, right? And it's, it's a Rufus Pix uh, and it gave me a way to like, when somebody didn't have a preference for a zine, there was a little D roll, a die six roll that would say like uh, a really small zine or a really weird zine or whatever. It's just so cool. I'll, I'll remember who that is and, and uh, look it up and, and mention it on the next show. But I love those kinds of interactions with fans. Um, I recently sent something to, uh, oh, a zine. I sent a zine to somebody overseas. And it was just easier to order it and send it from an overseas uh, provider than it was to actually mail it. So I just sent them a new one. And uh, then I discovered what they were doing. And they're doing these really cool, like, click calligraphical things. And um, that person offered to, to do one for me, like a bookmark, and send it to me. And this this is what makes, like, these kind of connections just make everything, make life better, right? And it's really cool to get these interactions. I'll, I'll mention one other project before I get off. Um, I did release something on itch.io this week. I've been working on it for a while, and I think I mentioned it on air. If not, I know I mentioned it in the Viridian Scroll, where I've been into Blood Bowl a lot lately. Um, probably my favorite miniatures game of all time. Uh, and I'm not even that much of a sports guy, but just it's a really clever game, and it's really contained, and uh, I really like it a lot. And I really like the Sevens version of it, which is a, a smaller, shorter version of the game that still feels like the same game to me. Um, I play a lot with my son. He's more of an 11s fan, you know, like the full game. Um, but we both like both versions. And we were heading off to Indiana, and I needed a travel set, you know, because miniatures don't travel well. You can't take five pounds of miniatures in your suitcase um, and expect them not to break and whatnot and uh, has a lot of room for everything else. So I started drawing these little counters uh, to represent players and glued them to... Uh, well, I put them on a sticker paper, printed them on sticker paper and then punched them out with a one inch punch and stuck them to one inch wooden discs that are on Amazon. Well, I've kind of refined that. First of all, I ended up drawing all the teams, <laughs> became kind of an obsession with me to draw all the teams. And so I drew all the positionals for all the teams, um, along with some variants. And then, um, Lately, I printed them on color paper, cut them out with the one-inch punch, and I found these clear plastic coin holders online that are just one-inch clear plastic holders. Um, very cheap. You can get, like, I think I got 200 of them for 10 bucks or something crazy. And uh, you pop those suckers open, and you can put in... I've got... You can make it two-sided, right? Because you can just put uh, two discs of paper back-to-back -back in there and then seal it back up. It's a, be a great way to make little miniatures, like on-the-go miniatures, um, but it's it's they make little good gaming pieces because they got just enough thickness that it's easy like a checker you know it's easy to pick them up and flip them and manipulate them slide them those kind of things so i don't know how long they'll last in terms of uh, whether they'll get cracked or scuffed or anything but they're made to display coins and so i imagine they're okay uh but it's so great because now it's not like I, the wooden discs were cool actually but they take more work and uh if there's any like if they get dirty or 
Um, if you want to redo one, it's much harder. Whereas this one, you just pop it open, dump out the contents and put something else in, right? And um, so anyway, I, I released the counter set. There's over a hundred little drawings out there. I, re I released the counter set on itch.io and then I made some, I took put some pictures of like a virtual tabletop I was using them on and on a uh, and in the clear plastic discs. So if you want to go look, if you download them the other day, you probably didn't see those pictures. I put them up this morning. Um, the other thing I'll say is there's a virtual token making site, which I've got to put a link in the show notes here. So I got to write this down for myself. Uh, so uh, say so I said Cairn, uh, Blood Bowl, VTT token maker, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, what else have I talked? D Dungeon 23. Okay. I think that's all the stuff I want to columns. I don't know if we need an article on columns, but there's all my links. Um, but the VTT token maker, I found out has a batch mode. And so you can pick the kind of rim you want on it, and then you can drag, I dragged all hundred and some files into this thing, and it made a token out of all of them and downloaded them all as a zip file. I was like, holy cow, how great was that? Like <laughs> to be able to make tokens out of all of them in a flash, it was so amazing. Um, that way you can decide your own like border and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'll put a link up to that. And uh, if you've downloaded those tokens, then you can do that with them if you wanted some for virtual. Now, they're goofy. They're kind of cartoony. Um, they're football-related, so guys are wearing there's a lot of shoulder pads and every once in a while football and things like that. Um, and, you know, I didn't... They're not something I spent so much time on that I'm like... They're, they're, they're not that amazing, right? But they're fun. Some of them are really uh, fun little characters. Um, the other thing I thought maybe I'd do with them is you could make buttons out of them, like those little one-inch buttons, and you could actually play the game with those buttons, but you could also just tag the buttons on uh, a bag or something so you could carry around a whole team on the shoulder strap of your bag. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some neat ideas there. But I'm getting to the point where probably stepping on Games Workshop's toes by uh, releasing those. So maybe I'll have to come up with my own fantasy football rules or my own fantasy uh, sport blood sport rules um <laughs> and then and then and then uh, make the tokens to match but at any rate it's just it was a fun project and i kind of wanted to be done with it for a while and so i um packaged them all up in a zip file and threw them up on itch.io itch.io or as uh, as one person recently said itch.io and um you can you can down those for free uh, if you want to tip me go ahead um put some money in there but i'm not expecting it uh, feel free to download it and uh, don't feel guilty about it if you don't want to pay, um, especially if you don't want to pay before you see what it is, right? Um, yeah, just download it and uh, have fun. Tell me what you do with them if you do something cool with them. And I'll be talking to you again real soon. In the meantime, look out for those rest monsters. <laughs>